Hi, and welcome to No Idea, the podcast aimed at providing listeners with a foundational understanding of IDEA. I am one of three hosts, Kelly Bilbury, who has not only been a teacher, but also worked for the Nebraska Department of Ed, the previous superintendent in South Dakota, and currently oversees the special education department for the largest virtual school in Wyoming. I am joined by Hunter Kuhnert, who has nearly a decade of experience in special education, first as a teacher and then a director, and Karen Hazy, who is not only a previous teacher, but is also a well-known special education lawyer and has been practicing since 96. She represents clients in Nebraska, Wyoming, and South Dakota, and has presented at numerous educational conferences, including being the keynote for LRP many times. Together, we bring in over 50 years of educational experience. Our goal is to provide listeners with a foundational understanding of IDEA. We will discuss topics such as child find, behavior, and social-emotional needs within the IEP, comprehensive evaluations, timelines, and much more. For each topic, we will define, discuss, review relevant case law, and weigh in based on our areas of expertise. We'll be going over IEP meetings. Uh, the last two episodes, we've discussed uh, the initial IEP process, child find, evaluation, and then going into the IEP meeting itself. This will kind of be a two-part episode, one to kind of go over a general overview and the next episode to really dive in. Uh, that should be the goal. I want to say when we first started this, we thought, oh, yeah, I thought this topic might only take 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, Karen quickly corrected me and all the lovely nuances of IEP meetings. Um, so as we start off, for us, when we look at IEP meetings, you're looking at it a variety of ways. There are There's at least one held annually, and that's just the annual IEP itself. And then there's the additional reevaluation. And then uh, depending on the IEP amendment, uh, either one of y'all want to correct me at any point, you can either meet or not meet. However, within that IEP amendment, you do want to note somewhere in the prior written notice and even the amendment paperwork itself that there was some form of parent participation. Is that correct? Two things. Number one, when you say annual IEP meeting, that means the team has to meet before day 364 is over. So that's something that we found in enforcement districts have gotten tagged on where they Mm -hmm. think that the review date is, you know, if we met on October 11th, 2023, we have to meet on October 11th, 2024, but it's really October 10th, 2024 would be your deadline. So for teachers and for administrators, even parents, the one important thing to note is that IEP amend or that IEP, sorry, the annual one, that date slowly creeps back. The yes. nice thing is that reevaluation resets everything. If you choose to have an IEP on that date, if you choose not to, because you don't necessarily have to, you can amend the current IEP, then that, that date would remain the same. And those are some of those nuances that we'll kind of get into. But yeah, it's just really important to note when you're putting those services it's for 364 days, calendar days, I should say. Awesome. So when we have this initial IEP meeting, we have this discussion and we want to get our team together. Who are the required members? We're looking at a teacher, ideally a general education teacher, special education teacher, an administrator. Uh, you're also looking at the parents, uh, student if applicable, and then any additional individuals. Now, real quick, we can't just bring anybody to this meeting without notice, correct? Kelly, do you want to take that as a practical matter? Yes, we can't bring any, just anybody that we want. We have to notify the parents. We have to notify the team of who we will be bringing, as well as the parents have to notify us as to who they're going to be bringing as well. 
to some degree, uh, parents can can kind of bring their own individuals at random times, correct, Kelly or Karen? Yeah, I I do think that if a parent thinks some, uh, so if a parent wants, we were just talking about this before we started recording. If a parent wants a particular paraeducator who works with their kid to be there, it's incumbent upon the parent to ask for that person's attendance before the meeting. Um, And then if the parent's uh, request is unreasonable, I would document that with a prior written notice. Now, I think what Kelly's talking about is if a parent's going to bring an attorney, I think it is definitely best practice for the parent to notify beforehand. Otherwise, the district likely is if you walk in with an attorney and you haven't told the district you're bringing your lawyer, the chances are that meeting is going to get rescheduled. And school administrators, hear me. Um, And Kelly and Hunter are two of the most experienced special ed administrators I work with. They don't meet with attorneys without checking with me first. Um, you should never meet with a parent attorney, even if you feel confident in what you're talking about, without checking in with your school district's attorney first. Um, and then the final thing I think that what you were talking about, Hunter, is if a parent shows up at an IEP meeting with her sister-in-law or her pastor or his girlfriend, those yep. are people that you can roll into the IEP meeting and it would be polite to tell the school district that you're bringing them so we have enough chairs. But I don't think that is legally permissible reason for us to uh, not refuse to hold the IEP meeting as scheduled. And Karen, another thing that I've ran into a lot um, is advocates. When advocates come, parents bring advocates. How would you, when I see an, I mean, I welcome the advocate in. I um, go about the IEP meeting as I would with um, anybody else. But I have also had teachers say, how can we just let the advocate in? So maybe can you talk just a little bit? Um, about that to teachers who may put advocates more on the same level as attorneys? Okay, well, I have my all my, you know, good friends out there who are special ed advocates. I respect the work advocates do. I actually think advocates can make meetings run more smoothly because the parent feels like they have somebody on their team. But I have also encountered an awful lot of special ed advocates who really don't know a lot about special ed. I'm, I'm just going to put that um, and so I don't think it is worthwhile for a team to get too twisted up in knots if an advocate rolls in making a bunch of statements about what the law says or doesn't say. Because the expertise of special ed advocates is is wildly uneven uh, in practice. So, But if we canceled every IEP meeting when a parent brought an advocate, we, I, I don't know that that's great practice because otherwise I, don't, I think that's a way for a parent to derail a meeting basically for free kicking back the the meeting date. So I tell teams to go ahead and meet with the advocate. Don't let the advocate dominate. When the advocate makes statements about the law that you think aren't correct, we just say, thank you for your input and keep keep moving along. Um, And that just puts an advocate, I think, on a different level than an attorney. I think, too, there's many times where advocates try and Kelly and I have dealt with a number in the virtual environment a few years ago, try and sideline. And I think the ultimate goal should be, you know, how is this going to help the student? Advocates can be phenomenal, but the guiding light at the end of the day has to be, how does this help the student in the educational environment? So if they're requesting all of these random things, the ultimate question, I've seen it even you know, in my current position, where the director will ask or administrator or myself will ask, how does this benefit the child? Well, you're requesting this. What does that be? You know, what is that tied to? Um, and sometimes that, that can catch them off guard. It's not meant to do that. It's just meant to understand that at the end of the day, we have the obligation to the child, not necessarily to the parent. Um, and I think the other part, important piece when we look at team members, and this is very, very important for any new director, any administrator, anybody not from their special education, is if the parents are divorced, you 
do you make your best effort? And Karen, you really helped us out in the sense of really kind of tying in internal procedures, but try and get a hold of that father for, you know, the father, the mother, whoever it may have been, whoever that divorced parent is over here. And I say over here as I'm waving my hand around in the ether, but I mean, that could be a Facebook message. That could be anything. And there are going to be times where, you know, parents are kind of pushed back by that, you know, it may not have ended well. And those are parts we have to say, I legally have to make sure. And and Karen, your best advice, and it helped me time and time again, we're not scheduling two meetings. So we're going to have one meeting. Oh, yes. And this is how it's going to be. You know, one of them can join by the phone. One of them can be in the day of, you know, since COVID, virtual has been huge and, and, you know, very beneficial to that. And I'll tell you now, 80%, and I'm kind of knocking on some imaginary wood here, of the time when I start to involve that other parent that's kind of distant, it usually, they usually don't show up. And that's okay. What I do to make sure is I do some of the IEP. I, you know, I say, hey, if you have any questions, please contact us. And then I move forward as is. Um, one thing to really note, and as we do this podcast, I'll make sure it's very clear. When you look at IEP, when we have those meetings, for a PWN, for that IEP to be in place, it's basically after that meeting for Wyoming. There ha- does, there's this prior written notice, and we'll dive more into that down the road. There's, I can issue that right after the meeting, and we're good to go. I mean, there's no real delay for Wyoming. Uh, South Dakota, I know we've talked about it before. Is it a five, seven, five, ten day delay? Is that correct? How long until that is in place? Is it right away as well? That's what, sorry. Where they're shaking their heads. I was just, the question was when we were at a PWN, how quickly do those services or how quickly does that action take place? So I'm going to hop in. Nebraska, yeah. South Dakota, and Wyoming don't have a set number of days that have to be. Okay. Um, there are states, Illinois is an example, where I, I believe in Illinois it's 10 days that you have to give okay. prior written notice before the services take effect. Um, and so this goes back to your comment about Advocate Center. Uh, an attorney is only licensed in particular states, so the attorney is presumed to know the law in the states where he or she is licensed. Advocates don't necessarily have to know what how the differences between the states. So I've had advocates um, from Ohio roll into an IEP meeting virtually and say, well, we can't, you can't place that kid until you give us 10 days notice. And they don't necessarily know the difference between the, the laws. That's an excellent point too. I think that's one thing. Sorry, I get caught up in some of the nuances. My main area has been Wyoming. So for us, it's been immediate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, as you look at the IEP meeting, you have those team members and you have that kind of well-established. Now the core team members uh, from the school side, that school agent, uh, I believe it's agency representative. Is that correct? Is that the terminology? Um, yep. Uh, LEA rep. Yep. Yep. And the importance of that individual is what? What is their main role? Why Why are they required? I think this is the easiest one to understand. The LEA rep has to roll into the IEP meeting with an, an American Express black card. If you have to ask <laughs> someone else for permission to spend money, then you can't be the LEA rep. And if your superintendent, I'll pick on superintendents for a minute. If your superintendent won't let you spend 50 grand on a, a residential placement, unless he or she knows about it, that means the superintendent is the only one that can be the LEA rep. So if, if you've got the ability to commit the resources of the district, then and there, there are numerous cases where teams have been held to not be validly constituted because the special ed director or the principal said, well, I have to check up line to see if we'll pay for a para or a special ed, you know, this curriculum or whatever. So if you can't cut the check right there in the, in the meeting, then you don't have a valid IEP team member or LEA rep. So they have to commit the resources of the district and be familiar with the offerings within the district. If the LEA rep says, you know, I don't know what we do for students on the autism spectrum. I don't know if we have a BCBA or not. They can't be the LEA rep. 
So those are the two things. You have to know the resources available internally and have the American Express black card, i.e. have the uh, unfettered ability to commit the resources of the district. And I think one important thing to note is, you know, as a director, there's times where you're a million different places at once. And there may yeah. be times where you say, hey, this principal is going to act, you know, for me in yep. this meeting. Please understand directors and administrators, superintendents, principals, you are now okaying any financial thing that that principal signs off on. We've had meetings where the principal goes, yeah, we'll get a one-on-one, no problem. And I'm like, time, time out, time out. Well, where did this come from? Now we have to get this one-on-one. You know, now I'm already in the, I'm already in my back foot. So I think it's really important to, to note for directors, superintendents, anybody, if you have that LEA rep, that person, like you said, Karen, is they have that black card and they're going to spend it left and right, you know, if, if it comes down to it. And I think too, when that individual is in that position, it's really important to be familiar with the requirements the students file, the special education piece yeah. of, you know, what, you know, what, what is reasonable. If the parent is asking for a one-on-one and there's no data there, or you have procedures internally, or maybe you have forms at your behavior, whatever it may be, and you don't have those filled out and they say, okay, that okay is going to circumvent all of those things. It's going to be very difficult to go back because now you can get a state complaint where they're like, well, hold on. You said this person was the rep and you said this person could spend, you know, basically as Karen, as Karen put it, is able to say, hey, what we can is can't spend money on. So yep. the next piece is we look at it, uh, you have the rep and you have an individual who can interpret results. What is that role? What does that look like? What is that defined as? Um, the regulations are interesting on this in that they are explicit that um, multiple people around the table can fill this role. So if, if the if this school, school psych has administered the Woodcock-Johnson, we probably need a school psych who's able to explain what IQ testing means and how that works. If the speech path has administered the, uh, what is it called, the WISC, um, they yeah. need to be there to explain what those results mean. The teacher that uh, administered, uh, like the reading test, if we're expecting the kid has a specific learning disability, needs to be able to explain that. Or your special ed director could be a school psych and a recovering speech pathologist and a recovering special ed teacher, <laughs> and that person could re- could explain all of those test results. So it just means that if the parent has questions, what does norm reference testing mean, that you have somebody at the table that can say, I'll step up and I can explain that. Yep. Which is good internal practices to make sure you have those established roles and like, hey, heads up, if they ask yeah. this, I'm going to pass you the ball and you got to take her down. Um, exactly. Those are the two roles usually that stick out the most, for me at least, on the administrative side. Go ahead, Karen. I was going to say, I want to jump in and, and circle back to regular ed teacher because that's mm-hmm. actually a place where we see a lot of districts stub their toe. Um, the courts view the regular ed teacher as being there to advocate for the inclusion of the kid in the regular ed classroom. Now, I'm not sure that's entirely true. I think sometimes regular ed teachers either feel completely disempowered or they're all too happy to have the kid be in resource. But the regular ed teacher is supposed to be there to say, no, you know what? When we read Shakespeare, we do that by watching the movie Romeo and Juliet. So if Karen doesn't have great word attack skills, she even though she's not great with the written word, she totally could benefit from being in my classroom for that. And um, that that regular ed teacher is a place, especially at preschool, uh, and also it, for kids who have more profound impairments or behavior problems, sometimes schools kind of skip that regular ed teacher piece, and there are schools that have... I think it's really important to note, as you said, Karen, internally, Kelly and I developed a number of procedures and processes to have that teacher included. When you look at that process and when you look at some of the things Kelly and I have worked on, even, you know, I know Kelly individually prior to, but with the process of 
this individual, this, uh, this regular education teacher, even for a student that's not on track to graduate and maybe spends a majority of their time in a book, what yes. might call like life skills, having somebody else come in. You know, if it's a PE yes. teacher, they go to PE with. If it's an art teacher, they may go with. Having that individual is always great to have. Because I'll tell you right now, it's really great when you're going through the strengths and you're going all through all these things and you bounce that, you pass that ball right over to that art teacher. And they go, they do really phenomenal here. They kind of struggle here. Well, great. That's yep. great to notice. Or, hey, I really appreciate, you know, he's grown so much in these areas. I've seen this behavior. I've seen, you know, decrease of off-task behavior. You know, that's always yep. nice to have. I'll tell you now that it's often difficult. And in one situation, I believe we had a DVR rep who was able to kind of come in and they said, hey, you guys have been working on social skills. In this working environment, here's the stuff we've seen and here's the positive impact we've seen. Here's, And they might even say, here's some recommendations I have. And I think that's always really helpful to kind of start to think outside the box. And I always go into um, staff meetings at the beginning of the year and explain to the regular yes. ed teachers That's the importance so of having a regular ed teacher and the importance yep. of that and explain to them all yeah. that, you know, it's not just one or two teachers that are always doing this. You guys all need to be involved and you all, if this is your kid, you all need to step up when asked to do this. And then to piggyback on that, we only so I have some districts that still think that if a high school student who's uh, included in the gen ed classroom most of the time, that that means all eight of the teachers have to show up for every IEP meeting. And it's like everybody has to take their turn, but it doesn't have to be all eight of you at the same time. So I, I always like it to be either a teacher in a subject area in which the child excels or a subject area in which a child particularly struggles. But we don't have to have math and English and social studies mm -hmm. and art and ag. And that also, I think, Kelly, is something you guys have done to to increase the buy-in from gen ed teachers so they don't think they're wasting their time because they are the voice of gen ed in that IEP meeting. Right, right. No, no, it's been phenomenal. When we talk about IEP meetings, I've mentioned it before, we'll have two kind of separate episodes. The next one will go in depth, and I'll speak more or less from my residential kind of piece as mm. the administrator there because it gets fascinating. Um Next, we have the special education teacher. That part, like for me, I, I and we'll kind of get to the next part of this here shortly, but I think it's really important to understand from, as an administrator, I pass the ball to that special education teacher to almost review the IEP and go through it. Now, I am saying this because in the sense of that the common practice for Kelly, myself, and a number of other administrators is to have a draft IEP ready. And Karen has made a good point in the past, you know, working with her, she's always told us have a pen ready, take notes. Usually for me, it's I'm typing the PWN and I'm kind of making those adjustments on to the IEP as we're working on it. I, I always highly recommend it. I know certain districts that don't do it, but having a draft IEP, it's yeah. it, it always shows professionalism from a, from a parent standpoint, but it also shows, hey, we know your kid. Here's what we're looking at. Now, this is a draft. It's malleable. We can look at certain things. And, and for the parents, the one thing I always recommend is is don't ever take that as, well, they're just trying to get, you know, write some services on there. They, you know, no, listen to it, have some, you know, have some voice in there. It's always really important. I always turn to the parent, you know, what do you think? How are you feeling? You know, does that make sense? Does that not make sense? The one thing, you know, we, we tend to see, and it's, it's rare at times, uh, is the parent that says, well, I think they get OT too. And we go, oh, what you, based on what? I just think they should get it. And like, you know, going back to the conversation of the advocate and all those, tying it to the current, you know, concerns that we have or tying it to any of those things. Now, a parent has concerns. As a, yep. yep. As an administrator, it's important to note some of those concerns. But just be aware, sometimes you, you might get some random thing in there. Well, you know, they, they, they write their letters backwards, and that's dyslexia. And I'll tell you now, those are one of those things that dyslexia is a very hot term, even now, same with ADHD and all these things. I think it's really important for general education teachers to understand there's certain components in those things. You know, 
just saying, oh, he writes his letters backwards to sexier as well can kind of really hamstrung or kind of derail the meeting at times because now the parent's going to go, why, why aren't you testing for dyslexia? Well, in the state of Wyoming, you know, it's it's SLD. It's not. And even then, I think within chapter seven, I think dyslexia is referenced under SLD, but there are certain qualifications to get there first. And, well, and, and we just, could do a whole session yeah. on that. Oh, yes, easily. So I think it's really important from the from the regular education teacher side to understand the role and the questions and and and, and you know, be ready for some of those things, but also don't jump too quickly on, well, that does sound about right, you know, and also for the regular education teacher not to go, how can I get this kid out of my class? Because I've been in yeah. many meetings where you invite that teacher and they're trying to say, well, he just can't learn this. It's just not like, No, let's look at co-teaching. Let's look at, you know, all these other aspects. Little Johnny's not going to get that. And that and that can really damage that relationship between the parent and the district. And it's very, very difficult. The other piece, just a very, on my side of it, being residential, med, don't bring up medication. As a, as a teacher, don't say, I think ADHD medication would be great for this kid. That's a separate discussion to have at times. And, you know, there are f- individuals who can have a discussion. But if you're saying he has too much ADHD, he can't sit still, look at medication, that can also fracture and kind of sideline that relationship as well. And kind of, I've been in a number of those meetings as well. But it's also good on the other side, you know, having the regular ed teachers there. For instance, when a parent requests OT, having them there and the appropriate regular ed teachers yes. there, they can really mm-hmm. act as an advocate for the child there as well, because, you know, they see no, the direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. I, I very much agree to that. Um, so we went kind of over the core components of the IEP team, you know, the team members, obviously the parent is, is the most important. If the parent, and this is where we'll, we kind of have to, sideline this discussion as well but you know parent participation and not attending meetings and that'll kind of be in the next episode but i think it's really important as a district uh, director district you know administrator whoever it may be having that information blasting that uh, meeting out as you know as soon as you guys can as soon as you guys have that team squared away and waiting to hear back now kelly and i have often been on the back foot of you know not always hearing back in reasonable time go ahead karen sorry I was just going to say, no, go, I, I was going to mention that the regulations say the student as appropriate. Yep. Um, and we do need to always invite the student once the student is of transition age or, or at least elicit input, meaningful input from the student. But we have a lot of districts that are using student-led IEP meetings um, in middle school and high school. And they've had really good success with it because then the, chi- the child then has a voice in his or her education. And it's harder for the parent to say, um, oh my gosh, my child can't do anything. When yeah. the child is standing up there and advocating for him or herself, it's also a great exercise in self-advocacy to prepare the child for whatever post-secondary experience he or she is going to have. So yeah. I, I, I love a student-led IEP meeting. I would 100% agree on that as well. And I mean, those are things we had to practice at middle school and whatnot, maybe sitting the child down prior to and going, here's the draft. Do you have any questions? It's almost like an interview process for yeah, some of the special right. education teachers engaged in. You know, and that, those are always phenomenal. See, little Timmy, you know, says the following. He believes he's strong in this area, you know, needs additional work in this or understands that maybe he doesn't have the greatest organizational skills. But those are really, I would 100% agree on that, Karen. And, and I think, Kelly, uh, the virtually, it's it's nice to have that because the yes. parent and the kid are usually sitting side by side and they can yes. have those and discussions. And a lot of times I will, if the kid is not sitting there, I will ask the parent where the kid is and ask them to please come over and sit by the parent so that I can, we can all speak to both of them, especially seven through 12. Mm-hmm. And so, that middle school age is when some students start refusing accommodations. 
I'm not going to use a calculator. Nobody else uses a calculator. I'm not going to leave the room. From, I'm, I refuse to go to resource. And it helps us to to know the child's tolerance for that accommodation right then and there, and then to problem solve around it. Yes. And I think it's important, even, you know, the director role, an administrator or LEA rep is a turn to that kid and ask, you know, you know, the team is talking about this. What are your thoughts? Yep. Would you be willing to, you know, is that something you want to do? Is that something you're interested in? And sometimes that kid will flat out tell you, absolutely not. I will not do that. If you send, if you have somebody, I have had a meeting. If you have somebody in that room, just, you know, checking in on me, I will get, I will walk out. Thank you for that information. You know, what would be a better way to go about that? So, so we look at the members and, and this is the idea when I, when I talk about this, you know, IEP meeting, I'm thinking about an annual IEP, but this, this qualified or this, this kind of viewpoint of those core members stands for any meeting, correct? Yep. That's right. Perfect. And for these, for the annual IEP, like I said, the draft is always nice to have for a reevaluation. As you jump into that, you go over the results. You may not have that. And it's my understanding, Karen, correct me. You have 60 days to do an initial evaluation. And then from that evaluation or any evaluation at that point, you have 30 additional days. Is that correct? Yeah. After the, to have the, to get the meeting held. Yep. So after you hold these results, you go over, you know, you make a determination, whether it's a reevaluation or records review, an initial evaluation, you then have this additional 30 days and you can now kind of sit down and, and once again, I usually like to have the IEP at that at that evaluation, but that 30 days is also handy from a director standpoint. If you need to, yeah. Or if yep. the test results are surprising. Yes, exactly. 100%. If, if, especially if the team's looking at autism and suddenly that's not popping off and something else is, you're like, oh, time out. We, you know, we need some more time to look at this. Um, an additional one is we look at IEP meetings, and it's it's kind of a, a fascinating one, but is it MDR? And we'll kind of talk about manifestation termination review, and then we'll almost have a bit of a closing. And Karen's smiling, and yes, this is always a fun topic to have but when you look at that meeting those core members still need to be there correct uh the regulation says relevant members of the iep team must participate in the manifestation determination review so for example if we have a kid with a speech impairment and the speech pathologist is necessary to interpret test results at the regular iep meeting but we're doing manifestation to see why the kid got into a fist fight on the playground i don't think the speech path is a mandatory participant in that manifestation determination review because I don't think she's a relevant member of the team. Excellent. And so relevant members, and that's kind of internal where you have that discussion. Once again, you make that meeting notice, you send that out. But I would yep. say, you know, any disciplinary, you you need that administrator there. You you, you know, even, and it might be that you have the SPED director and the principal also there as well, because now you have the SPED director who's going to okay those costs and you have the principal on the side going, here's the behavioral, here's this other piece, here's this this other section of you know what this behavior may lead to i was gonna say usually the principal is the also the disciplinarian who's proposing some kind of disciplinary consequence so i really like um i i think most of the time we do not need a special ed director and a principal i think they can tag team all the iep meetings but when the when it's the principal who's as the disciplinarian is recommending a consequence i love rolling someone else in to be the lea rep because i think that enables the conversation to be um the parent feels less like this is the principles, the judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. And I would agree. And it also kind of takes some contention from the SPED director role of saying, why are you now disciplining my kid? Why are you now making all these? It's more of a broad discussion saying, hey, this right. is you know, principal's building. You know, they have, we have, we have to have a discussion on this. Um, and now you obviously would have a special education teacher in my mind, a general education teacher of some form. Now that might look different uh, depending on. But I think it's very important to kind of say, hey, you know, are these behaviors occurring in this class? Karen, give me your, you know, Kelly, Karen as well. But, you know, in my mind, having a general education teacher where the behavior occurs and doesn't occur would also be important to have to, you know, what, what's the difference there? What are we looking at? Is it because it's, 
you know, the teacher has, you know, expectations posted on the wall that we're not seeing these behaviors, or if it's because the way that one teacher talks or, you know, or the way they present themselves. Um, who, who might you also see at an MDR? So you have the principal, you have administrators, you have a teacher, you might have, you know, are you seeing SROs? I have strong feelings that SROs in general should not be part of your disciplinary process. So I, unless the SRO is the one who observed and documented the whatever behavior that is the reason for the proposed mandatory reassignment, um, I don't generally include SROs. I do include school psychologists or because remember, in a manifestation determination review, and, and we maybe are straying too far into that, but the relevant, we have to have relevant members of the team. And the question that they're asking is, was the misconduct caused by or did it have a direct and substantial relationship to the disability? So we might need a psych in to talk about the fact that Tourette's also is associated with impulsivity and reduced executive function, or that uh, autism spectrum disorder can result in students having extreme reactions to physical touch. So I, I do, we don't always have to have a school psych for a manifestation determination review, but a psych or someone who's familiar with the way that disability presents in this student, I think is really important. And I think it's, it's and Karen, correct me, when you look at those meetings and you look at, especially in MDR, as you kind of dive into the weeds of special education and disciplinary and whatnot, and the, the repercussions that can have, but almost having, a, you know, if you have a behavior teacher, great, having the psych there as well. I think it's handy yeah. because once again, you have those two playing off one another saying, here's what I'm seeing, here's what we're addressing, you know, do we need to change anything? Is, is what we're doing appropriate? And that's kind of that meeting to have. One thing, as we talk about meetings and even MDRs, the idea is to be very careful and be very aware. I've always had internal meetings as district. It's always been nice to have everybody kind of on the same page. But I want to make sure when you have those meetings, and this is just to anybody, you're not making a predetermination. I was just going to say, I never call them meetings. I call them staffings. We yep. can staff. Yes. I also, 100%, and when the parent, yes. when the parent shows up with a marked up copy, I love that so that we can go through and you know, accept suggestions from the parent as well. As we close out and as we look at IEP meetings, this is kind of this first section, let's say we meet, the parent doesn't like it. Who has the final say? Who can <laughs> say, all right, well, we got to move forward with little Timmy because it's day 363 or 364 and they still require special education services, but the parent's not happy with this given section and the team does not want it. Or the district says that's required. What does that look like? The funny thing is there's a clear answer to this question and no one likes it. We don't vote. We don't keep talking until the parent gives in. In the end, the person who makes the decision is the LEA rep, the person with the American Express black card. <laughs> now, if you're making a decision and the rest of your team, the rest of the educators on the team don't agree with you, I worry about that. But in the end, the way we cut through the logjam is that the LEA rep decides. And that's really important to know because that, that, that does place more importance on that role. Yes, you are paying, you're, you're writing the checks, but you're also being the person the final say. It, it can be contentious at times. Karen, I was going to say, yeah. I know Karen, I say, Kelly. Kelly, I, as the person who's had to say, no, we're doing this. I don't care what you say. I mean, I don't know how you, I don't know how you do that as a practical matter, Kelly. I, I usually, when, they, when parents do say that, I say, thank you. You're a very valuable member of the team. You know, we value your feelings, we value your input, but I, as the school representative, have the final say in the decision that we will mm -hmm. put in place moving forward. And I, I love that you just that. own that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and I work, I work through a computer, so nobody is there to punch me if they don't like it. So, <laughs> you know, but... Yeah. 
you have to because I have had parents who have just started to go round and round and round. And by the time they're done talking in circles, everybody is so confused that Mm -hmm. I just have to stop it and say, no, this is what we're doing and move forward. And if they don't like it, there's your options. I mean, you know, just there's just a case decided out of New Mexico just like 10 days ago where the school gave parents post COVID the, uh, the option to select for their kid uh, full homebound. And so for the 21, 22 school year, parents insisted that their disabled child be homebound. And the school was like, well, that's what the parents wanted. We had to do what the parents wanted. School owed 300 hours of comp ed one-to-one. So, I mean, Jesus. the Ellie, the, and, and because, and the school was like, oh no, the kids should have been in school. Everybody agrees it was the parents that wouldn't let us. That is not a defense. So you have yeah. to be ready as the LEA rep to have those words in your mouth that mm-hmm. Kelly was just, you know, rehearsing yeah. to say, we cannot let the parent unilaterally dictate what's going to happen with this child. Yeah. I think it's one of those double-edged swords because, I mean, their counseling therapy that comes up a lot at times, especially, you know, with social emotional learning and all those things where parents are like, well, I don't want it. I don't think it's, and the parent doesn't even sign off for some of those services, you know, therapeutic wise, but it's really important as a district. If you believe that's there, that's going to be effective to really stand on the fact, Hey, this is, you know, we feel like this is required service for the student to receive faith. I mean, that's huge and it's not fun. There's times where it does get contentious and they're going to be yelling. They're going to be upset with you and they may walk out. And as they're walking out, there's a very nice line that I've learned. And if I misquote at any point, let me know, Kelly or Karen, you know, we can either take a break or, hey, as you're leaving, we're going to continue this meeting. You're a really important member and we really appreciate your input. But if you leave, we're going to continue. And I think that's yeah. really important to do. And there's times I've had to say that and the parent just kind of looks at me funny. They walk out and they receive the finalized version, you know, one or two days later with the PWN. And I get an email like, what the hell is this? And it's, hey, well, this and is what the I team have started on. having um, them sign because when you sign, it's just that you were at the meeting. So we always yes. sign at the beginning. I think yeah. it's, I, I, yeah, it's, it's great. I'll tell you now, virtual wise, it can be, it's, it, it can be a little difficult because you have to have the right kind of programming, but in person, it's really easy to say, Hey, we're just going to pass this around. We're just signing off that we're in attendance. attendance sheet. Yeah, exactly. Just like you would from a teacher standpoint, if you wanted certain credits or whatever it may be. And just as a parent, if you were to attend something, you know, parent teacher conferences, you're signing off saying you're there. Um, I feel like this is a pretty good spot to stop. Do we have any additional comments or concerns on anything? Maybe we, I want to make sure we don't rush this, but I also know we have a second part coming out that that's going to go. So this episode is who's invited to the party. And then next episode, we can talk about what happens at the party. Yes. That will be good. That gets into the weeds. (laughs) So I think we're at a great point. Um, We'll see you next time. Thank you.